The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Yes. Hey, let me just tell you, you the colony looks good on you this morning. Look at somebody beside you and just tell them, you look good this morning. Go ahead and tell them. Well, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I cannot tell you how excited we are that you would spend a little bit of time with us this morning in our grand opening at the Colony Theater. Isn't this place beautiful, by the way? Yes, it is. By the way, Jerusha, who runs the Colony Theater, is here with us. I don't even know where she is. Where is she? She's right there. And so she has been amazing. If you don't know, we hosted a Christmas Eve service here uh, last year, and uh, in Jerusalem, you don't even know this story, but at the time we were praying, God, would you, would, you, would you help us find another place to meet in our city because we were running out of space where we were, and uh, I dropped one of my mentors off at the airport um, last year in December, and, uh, and after I dropped him off, he was hammering me, you need a new space, you need a new space. I literally drove every street in Burbank, and I said, God, I just don't see where we're going to meet. And I said, so I'm done. And I threw my hands up and I said, God, if you want us to meet somewhere else, you're going to have to provide it. And three weeks after that, uh, one, of uh, one of Jerusha's staff emailed us and said, hey, there's a possibility that the colony may be opening. Would you be interested? <laughs> and we said, thank you, Jesus. This is you. And so here we are several months later. God is good and he's doing a great work in our city. And we're honored that you would be here this morning. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're in a brand new series in our church. We preach through typically books of the Bible um, in our sermon series. Uh, last, the last three weeks, we were in a series called The Art of Neighboring. We took it from one of our core values that we title, We Own the Neighborhood. And so we're going to depart from our book strategy when we preach on Sunday mornings for the next few weeks. And we're going to take a look at the grand narrative of Scripture. We're going to look at stories throughout the Bible, and we're going to see the grace, the goodness of Jesus in every single story. And so we take this series from one of our core values that we title, We Value the Radical Grace of Jesus for All People. So if you're exploring churches this morning and you're wondering um, what is Story City about, this is at the heart of who we are. And when we talk about core values, what we mean is if you opened up our heart and our heart had a voice, this is what it would say. We value the radical grace for all people, the radical grace of Jesus for all people. You can find those on our website. But let me just read what I mean by this. Central to our ministry, this is on our website, central to our ministry is the fact that people matter to God. No one is too bad, too mad, too far from God to matter to him. We value all people regardless of background, messes or successes and we will do everything we can to help people meet Jesus and we will never stop doing it. And so that's who we are. That's where the series is going here called Portraits. So let me do this. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to just jump right into the Bible. If you got a Bible this morning, you can turn it on, turn it to the book of Genesis chapter one. Jesus, you are so good. You are a good, good father. That's been the theme of our church, Lord, for a year and a half. God, as you're building your church in this city, God, thank you for the stories that you are writing, the stories that you are connecting, God, the stories that are being changed because the 
gospel is being imparted in people's lives. And so, God, we pray for that exact same thing this morning. As we start a brand new series, as we open up the Word of God, I pray that the most important word spoken this morning would be the scripture that we read and you would speak directly to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, Amen. Amen. Um, anybody in uh, play sports in high school? Anybody an athlete in high school? Okay, a few of you guys. Um, I, I grew up playing sports. I, I started playing baseball. I moved into football. I went to basketball and realized that I was just a slow white dude, and so I just concentrated on baseball. And God had actually given me a little bit of talent and abilities to play baseball. I was offered a scholarship to play in college. And uh, I was thinking as I was preparing this sermon this morning, um, when I was, I think I was about a sophomore in high school. I played shortstop, but then I occasionally pitched. And, um, and so I'm pitching at this school called Lawrence Manning. Now, we're in California. You may not understand this, but like when you hear the term redneck, Lawrence Manning was redneck, all right? And so, and so they're, they're in the middle of, like, they're buried in South Carolina somewhere. You have to go out of the woods to get to where they are. And so I'm on the mound pitching as a sophomore, and this dog runs across the field. <laughs> and somebody from their dugout yells out, hey, pitcher, your mom's on the field. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I didn't know Jesus very well at that time. And so I, when, I, I, when he yelled it like it went quiet, everybody in the place heard it. And, um, and some of those, some of the people that were there who knew my personality, like a bull in a china shop occasionally, I, I did this. I was like, when he, and I looked over at him, and I stepped off the mound. <laughs> and then I started walking to him, and I'm like, okay, come on, you want a piece of me? Let's go. And the umpire's like, time out, time out. My coach races on the field because he knows that all hell is about to break loose. Have you ever had moments in your life when you thought hell was breaking loose in your life? I want to preach a message this morning titled, When Hell Broke Loose, from Genesis chapter 1. And I believe when we look through the pages of Scripture, we see these stories of people who were bad, they were good, they were mad, they had success, they had mess. And oftentimes when we read the scriptures, we have a tendency to look at ourselves in the scriptures and see where we do well and where we succeed and where we achieve. Yet I believe through this series, God is calling us back to the scriptures to reread some familiar stories and to say the hero in the story is actually not you. The hero is Jesus. So in the midst of our messes, in the midst of our successes, in all the bad, in all all the good, there's sometimes when, when just hell breaks loose in life. It could be um, with your spouse. It could be with your kids. Um, hell tried to break loose in my family yesterday. We had to take my son, my two-year-old, to the emergency room last night. He got run over by my five-year-old daughter who was learning to ride a bicycle and didn't know how to stop. And it was, it was like jet propulsion. She hit him and like he flew across the parking lot. And hit his head, and we thought he had a concussion, and hell was trying to break loose in our home last night. All of us are, are, are not accepted from, from chaos happening in our life. And so this morning, when we look at Genesis chapter 1, we see chaos breaking out. And so sometimes we have a tendency when hell breaks loose to focus on the hell. But what Jesus wants us to see this morning is he wants us to focus on how he responds when it all breaks loose in our life. So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 1, 
starting in verse 31, and I'm going to make our way. I'm just, I don't typically preach this way, but because the narrative is laid out over the course of three chapters, I want to, I want to go from Genesis 1 all the way to chapter 3, ending in verse 20 and 21, and you can relax. I'm not going to read all, all the verses this morning, just a select few, just so we get the gist of what's happening here. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 31. By the way, if you've never been in church or you haven't been in a while, you probably are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. That's where we are. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 31, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, this is what God said, it was very good. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. Typically, we read the book of Genesis chapter 1, and we think of it in terms of creation or man and woman responsibilities, and those are absolutely true, and we can absolutely dive into those this morning, but I want to focus on this idea just for a moment. When God created, he looked over the spectrum of what he had put in place, and he said, it was good. Now, chapter 2, starting in verse 15, the Lord God took the man, this is the story of Adam and Eve, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Verse 17, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now listen to what he says, pay close attention. For when you eat from it, listen to what he says, you will certainly what? Any tree you want in the, in, in the garden, Adam, any tree you want in the garden, Eden, Eve, but, but there's one tree, it's back in the corner, do me a favor, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree that is to be left alone, and if you eat of it, you will. So at this point in the narrative we see in the creation story, we have paradise. Adam and Eve are literally in a place called the Garden of Eden. I have a daughter. She's five years old. She jet propulsed my son across the parking lot last night. And we named her Eden. I know what Eden means. We intentionally name our kids with names that have purposes. My son's name is Deacon. It means dusty one or servant one. Roman is a a strong name because we believed he was going to be strong, and he is, and his head is tough. And we named Eden. We named Eden because it means paradise. Eden means paradise. And so at this point in the Genesis narrative, what we have is literally paradise. Adam and Eve are at harmony with each other. They're at harmony with God. They're at harmony with creation. And everything was perfect. Everything was divine. Everything was the the way that, that we would hope that it would be. But then all of a sudden, the narrative takes a drastic turn in chapter 3, and we see the one thing that God said not to do is the one thing that Adam and Eve decided to do. And so Adam defies God. He denies God. Um, but let me be clear about what's happening here, because we can read the narrative and we try to understand what, what exactly happened when Adam and Eve did what God said not to do. In essence, Adam and Eve traded what God's purpose was for them. And they created their own purpose. We could say it in another way. It wasn't necessarily about Adam and Eve breaking laws. It was about Adam and Eve making their own laws. They took things in their own hands. They had their own selfish ways. And at this point in the narrative, in chapter 3, starting in verse 2, all hell breaks loose in paradise. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we know when they took the, the, um, the, the fruit and they ate of it, then sin entered the world. The New Testament narrative says in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sin. 
So we live in the aftermath of the destruction and the devastation of the Garden of Eden. And everything we know in life is spoiled. Listen to me. Not by bad choices. Everything we know in life is not spoiled because we did something wrong. Everything we know in life is spoiled because of original sin. We know, we know this innately. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This week, we prayed over my friend, Elena, and her, her body has been ravaged by cancer. She's here this morning. Praise God. We just innately know. We prayed, Jesus, we know this is not the way it was intended to be. How many of you guys saw the five-year-old boy um, in Syria that with blood on his face. Anybody see that this week? Um, the five-year-old boy who, was, who had blood on his face because his house was bombed in Syria. The house collapsed and they're rescuing him and they put him in an ambulance and he's got blood on his face. He doesn't even know it's there. He reaches up and he realizes he's got blood and he tries to hide the blood. It's not the way it was supposed to be. Five cops are killed in Dallas. 49 people are killed in Orlando. Um, uh, floods ravage the state of Louisiana where we have members who are currently there who go back and forth. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And scripture says the reason is because it goes all the way back to the original choice of Adam to disobey God. This is what a guy named Tim Keller says. Disease, genetic disorders, famine, natural disasters, aging, and death itself are as much the result of sin as oppression, war, crime, violence. We have lost God's shalom. Physically, spiritually, socially, psychologically, culturally. But listen to me. That's not the way it was in Eden. Sin destroyed the harmony in Eden. Adam took advantage of original privilege, if I can say it that way. What do you mean by original privilege? Well, when I had a two-year-old, um, I didn't have to worry about, about my two-year-old getting up in the middle of the night and swiping my iPad, punching in my passcode, and playing Minecraft all night, right? He had original privilege. I trusted my two-year-old son. He's now seven. I have to hide the iPad so he doesn't see it, and he can't play it all night. He abused original privilege. You know this if you have friends or family who have been incarcerated, convicted of a crime. You know you are innocent until proven guilty. But here's what happens. Once guilt enters the scene, once guilt enters the story, then what typically happens is guilt is typically the aftermath, and we live with the stigma of not being able to be trusted. I don't know if that sounds familiar to some of you guys this morning. I don't know if some, somebody in your life has broken trust with you. I don't know if you've broken trust with somebody else. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. It's not how it was originally intended to be. But listen to me. Humanity has mastered the art of abusing original privilege. I want to say this even further because Genesis chapter 2, 15, 16, and 17 says, God spoke directly to Adam and Eve. And he said, if you do what I ask you not to do, the one thing, there's one rule, Adam and Eve, and if you break that rule, you will surely die. So it's not like Adam and Eve were left to their own devices to figure out what it is that God intends to do here. So when we look at sin, we just don't look across the landscape of our culture and our world and throw stones across the river and say, yeah, but those people, and I can't believe that, and, and I'm, I, I would never do that. We have to look at sin, not just corporately, but personally. And I want to say to us this morning, because this is vital to get to where we're going, sin is not an accident. Sin is not a mistake. 
Sin's not an accident. Sin is not a mistake. And we willfully, deliberately break God's law. We routinely defy and deny God. And by the way, the pages of Scripture are filled with stories of people who do the same. I don't know, maybe some of you guys are like, man, I, 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 I never dove into Scripture because I have this fear, like, like I'll never add up. I'll never, I'll never get to the place where they got to. Can I make an invitation to some of you guys this morning? If you've been away from Jesus for a while, you've never engaged with him, or you've had this perception of who God is, and you're like, I can't read scripture because I'll never add up. Let me invite you to engage with the scriptures because there are stories after stories, mess after success of people who do the exact same thing continually, deliberately, and willfully. And I think it's good to start a series here because once we recognize recognize that and, and admit to it and fess up to who we are, it puts us in a perfect position and a great place for the grace of God to make some things new in our lives. So let me, let me just, after understanding that sin is not just a mistake, let me just insert one question that some of you may be asking, and let me just take a couple minutes to try to digest this, okay? Let me ask, some of you guys may be asking the question, why did God let all hell break loose in perfect paradise? Like, why didn't God just, why didn't God just allow a place to be created, a world to be created where there was no sin? There was no possibility for mess up. There's no possibility for cancer. There's no possibility for war. There's no possibility for one family and their extended family to lose 13 homes in a flood. Why didn't God allow a perfect place to be created? Why did he allow all hell to break loose? Let me, let me break this down just for a minute. It's sort of a philosophical argument, but we can take it from Scripture. First of all, from Scripture, we capture the picture of a God who is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. He's foreknowing. He's past, present, future. He saw the choice that Adam and Eve would make in the garden. Um, we call that omniscient. God has the ability to know not only what, what, what he's going to do, but also what we are going to do. He had the foreknowledge to know that the garden would turn drastically dark. That creates a couple other questions, but bear with me just for a moment. In addition, we have scripture who testifies to a God who is omnipotent, meaning that he is all-powerful. We have a God who is all-knowing. We have a God who is all-powerful, and he can create anything he wants. Listen to me. So long as it doesn't violate his other attributes. We have a God who can create anything he wants so long as it doesn't violate his other attributes. Pastor Matt, what are those attributes that apply in this situation? By the way, Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 says, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power. Nothing is too hard for you. An all-powerful God he can do anything he wants, create it however he wants. Nothing is too big. He never fails, but he can only do so as long as it doesn't violate his other attributes. What are the other attributes? Number one, we have a God who is all good. He's perfect. He's perfect, and he can only create perfection. God can only create perfection, and everything he touches is good. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, he is the rock. His works are perfect, and all of his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he, 
He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. I'm just going somewhere. Just bear with me. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-good. Listen to this. There we know God is love. That's one of the essential natures of who he is. That's how he relates to us. That's how he wants us to relate to him. He's not wishy-washy on his love. He's not jealous on some days. He's not, he's not wavering on other days. God is love. If you were around recently, we walked through the book of 1 John, and we saw that in 1 John, that God is Love, And we understand that in order to fully love, in order to fully love, there has to be choice. There must be choice in order for us to fully love. Otherwise, we're some sort of robotic, mechanical being that has no choice. We just exist in the world. So what we have is we have a God who can create whatever he wants. We have a God who knew that in the garden things would go drastically wrong. We have a God who can only is bound by his goodness and his qualities of love to create, here it is, the best possible world for humanity. Sometimes we wonder why God didn't create a world without sin, and a lot of times he's blamed for not doing so. But if this world was one without the possibility of sin, can I say to you and suggest to you this morning, then the possibility for loving God would not exist. Because the essence of what happens in the garden is that Adam has the potential and the opportunity to demonstrate love. You know this, by the way. I didn't understand it when I was 15 and 16 years old because I thought love had, was wrapped in my hormones and my emotions. But what I grew to understand, especially in marriage, is that every single day is a choice to love my beautiful wife. Probably more for her. It's a choice for her to love me. I'm hard to love. And so it's a choice to love. And we know love's fullest expression when we have that choice so we can Conclude that God could not have created a world without sin because we never would have known a choice to know God, to understand God, and would never have had a choice to love him in the fullest measure. But God created a world with the possibility of sin. And yes, it would go drastically. It could and it would. It would go wrong. And with the possibility of sin, though, comes the possibility of love. When God created a world with the certainty of major error, he created us with the capacity to understand love to its fullest extent. But Adam broke original privilege. Adam disobeyed God. Adam stepped outside of the boundaries of love, and he made up his own rules. Um, I, I, I know you probably know this is true, but uh, as a pastor for 16 years, I often have the opportunity to talk to people um, who have had relationship messes. And oftentimes there's a spouse who cheats on a, another spouse. There's somebody who's unfaithful in a relationship. And, and even though forgiveness can happen, and I've seen it many, many times, oftentimes when original trust has been broken, what happens is it leaves the other person in relationship always skeptical of the other. There's always suspicion and there's always doubt. And so we have this narrative of Adam breaking God's trust. Can I say to you, um, if, if, if you were in Adam's place or you were in God's place this morning and Adam broke your trust, could you imagine how you respond? Um, I, I wasn't even dating my wife at the time. My wife is in here somewhere. She's not in kids' ministry this morning. Where is she? She's so beautiful and amazing. Where is she? She's up there. She's in the back. And um, I wasn't even dating my wife at the time. I, I actually had gone to Florida to ask her dad if he would give me the permission to date his daughter. 
And, and so I, I, and there's a long story to this. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You need to really hear it because he gave me a bullet with my name on it the first day I met him. <laughs> no kidding. I, I don't have time to tell you this. But he told me he'd kill me. And so, <clears throat> true story. And so I sit down finally after three days. And it, like he gave me a bullet the first day. And I'm like, there's no way I'm dating this girl. She's crazy. He's crazy. This whole thing is crazy. I'm done. And then I'm like, no, I, I, she's amazing. I, I've got to go for it. And so I sat down and I said, Mr. Bill, in a long story, he starts crying on the couch on the third day. And I'm like, see, you ain't so bad. And so, and so, and, and so I look across and I'm like, Mr. Bill, I, I, I fumbled through my words. I, I, I would love permission to date your daughter. And he looked at me and, and he's crying and, and he made a statement. Laura dated one guy before she dated me. She was really young when we got married, um, and, and she dated one guy for three years, and he told me a story. He said, the last guy that Laura dated, I told him, she was living in North Carolina at the time, he was living in North Carolina at the time, and he said, Mr. Bill, her dad said, I told him that if you break my daughter's heart, if you hurt my daughter, I will kick your butt up and down the state of North Carolina. He didn't say butt, though, but he loves Jesus, all right? He said, I will kick your butt up and down the state of North Carolina, right? Like, like that's how we would respond when people break our trust. Like, I'm, there, there's a lot of my personality that God is still redeeming. The bull in the china shop, come after me. I'm coming out with both hands raised. Like, that's how we respond when people break trust. But would you look at me just for a minute? But how does God respond? How, how does God look at us when Trust has been broken when we have broken his law. Let's talk, call it the way scripture goes. When we have sinned against God. Genesis chapter, two, uh, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 2 and then going to verse 3. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, this is what God said. And this is Eve telling the serpent, who is the devil, who's trying to deceive her. But listen, devil, this is what God did say. You must, not eat tree, uh, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will what? Again, Adam hears what God says is going to happen. Eve repeats it back to the devil, and they both have clear understanding of what God said would happen when they broke the law. Now, they break the law. They eat the fruit. Uh, they believe Satan's lie. They trade God's purpose for their own. They make their own laws. And then watch what happens in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, God, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And, Adam, and God said to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? By the way, God knew what was going on there. The man said, the woman, <laughs> the woman, um, you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so immediately after Adam and Eve do exactly what God said not to do, they ate from the tree that was off limits. They became aware of their nakedness, and they were ashamed. You know, in the world as we know it, people will do anything they can to erase shame, right? Like, like you don't see many people walking around like, hey, I'm a moron, look at me, right? People do anything they can to erase 
shame. And so what happens here in this passage is, is Adam tries to deflect the blame in his life that he rightfully should have received. And he says, the woman God that you put here. <laughs> I don't, look, I didn't, like, I'm not God, but just for a moment, let me play it, all right? Say, what, Adam? Are you serious? Like, you're going to blame me, Adam? Like, 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 I didn't have to do this, right? Like, I didn't have to create all this. I didn't have to do these things that were good for you. I didn't have to give you the fruit. I didn't have to give you the wife. I didn't have to do it this way. And now, once you did what I said not to do, you're going to turn around and blame me for putting her here? Really, Adam? Really, Adam? Is that really what you're saying? I'm about to snap off like a Slim Jim, Adam. Like, that's how I would respond, right? <laughs> and, and you'd respond the same way. At that point in the, in the game, I'm like, look, homie, I brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out, right? And this is the beginning of creation, placing blame and fault for all that is evil on God. We just slide it across the table and put it on his plate and said, this is what you created. Now you eat your own meal. You allowed this accident. You allowed this disease. You, you didn't give me what I wanted. So how does God respond? How does God respond? He gave them something they didn't deserve. It's called grace. They were told on the day that they ate from the tree that they would die. Let's vocalize that. They were told on the day that they ate from the tree they would die. So Adam and Eve are naked and they're ashamed and they're hiding from God, but yet their sin didn't so separate them from God that he wouldn't or he couldn't come looking for them. Can I say to you, God made the first step towards Adam and Eve. Like when we're ashamed of something we've done, we, we've broken trust with our spouse, we've broken trust with our kids, like, like we want to hide and bury ourselves in shame. Like I don't want to face my reality right now, but yet God, even though he was wronged, took the first step towards Adam and Eve, and he called for their name in the garden. Can I say to you, God's response to sin is grace. The longer I live, the older I get, the more people that I lead, the more grace that I want to receive, the more grace that I want to give in my life. Grace doesn't dismiss sin. Grace doesn't look at sin and say it's no big deal. Actually, in chapter 3, there's about seven verses where God talks about what the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin are. We call that discipline. We don't separate discipline. We separate discipline from punishment. Ultimately, the punishment for sin was buried on the cross with Jesus, but there are consequences that still remain because of our sin. Grace doesn't dismiss discipline. Grace doesn't dismiss consequences, but what grace does say is that there is a possibility to come back to me. (laughs) And that's what all of us want. That's what all of us need, but grace is received only and experienced only by those who acknowledge they are undeserved. Look how this narrative in the garden ends, and I'm almost done. Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. 
Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. So at this point in the narrative, Adam and Eve have to turn east and begin walking out of the garden that God originally gave them. It's part of the consequence, it's part of the discipline where God dismisses them from paradise and says, you must turn east and you've got to go. You can no longer stay here. And scripture doesn't narrate this scene. I just draw a picture in my own mind how the conversation goes down. And I imagine Adam and Eve walking east out of the garden and God calls them one more time. Hey, Adam, before you go. Adam, you know, it it didn't have to be this way, right? Yes, God. I know. Adam, you know, I didn't have to do all this, all this, right? I didn't have to do all this. You know that, right, Adam? Yes, God. I know. Adam, you know, I told you what would happen if you broke my command, yet you're still here, right, Adam? Yes, God. I understand. Adam, you, you understand shame and guilt now, don't you, Adam? Yes, God. I understand. And in the moment where God exposes what's happening in their life, the shame and the guilt, yet in one more way, something is given that was not deserved. No sooner than God throws Adam and Eve out of the garden, then he turned right back around and he gave them something they would need in this new world of shame. Something to wear, clothes to cover their shame and their guilt. There's a beautiful verse in the New Testament that gives full body to what God is not only, um, to what God is not only doing with Adam and Eve, but all throughout the pages of stories of scripture. Like, this is the first Adam. Jesus would be the second Adam. Adam represents all of us. He, like, he represents all of us. He originally sinned. We participate in his sin. That's who we were created. That's how we were born. We have no other option. We continue to pile on to what Adam has done. And the stories of Scripture, the pages of Scripture, are filled with names and faces and people who have stories just like Adam, just like Eve, just like Matt, just like you. And there's a beautiful verse in the New Testament, and and it says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now listen to me. That he lavished on us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Us. Let me just take this word just for a second. Lavished means excessive. (laughs) Lavished means to provide in abundance. Lavished means to have more than enough. And it goes on further to mean to cause to be intense. What's happening in the New Testament is reflecting over all the stories in Scripture. And God is saying to us, 
Uh, I make this grace available to you. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you did to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. But I make it available to you in abundance. And not only do I make it available to you in abundance, I make it available to you in super abundance. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's football season. Praise God, it's football season. And, and I'm a Clemson fan. And we went to the national championship last year. I took my son and we lost and it was miserable. But I was looking forward to the clock running out, and I was looking forward to the clock. Ben, you guys can come on up. We're almost done. The clock, I was looking forward to the clock running out, and when the clock runs out, you know what happens at the end. You've seen this scene before on TV. You've watched the winning coach of a major football game. He takes a what? A Gatorade bath, right? You've seen it? So I was in 10th grade, and we had a pretty good football team. We won the state championship my 10th grade year. And I remember um, as the clock wound down, my friend and I, Gabe Whitaker, we went over to the Gatorade bucket. We, we both picked it up, and as the clock went to zero, Gabe and I took the Gatorade. I wish I was going to bring one this morning, and I was going to act like I was going to throw it on front row. Um, and, and we took the bucket, and we doused, uh, we doused Coach Shelley. We, we just we drenched him. <laughs> You've seen the scene, right? Like there's shock and there's panic. Actually, there was a coach that they think died because he was in shock from. And so that's a bad thing. But listen to me. You, you've seen that he's drenched from head to toe. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, Where sin existed in abundance, grace existed in superabundance, and then some on top of that. Adam and Eve didn't deserve the grace of God in their life. They didn't deserve a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. They didn't deserve what God was going to lavish on them. I, I love this scene in, in the New Testament where he says God's rich, the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You know what I get the picture of? I get the picture that from the top of my head, the crown of my head to the bottom of my foot, God has covered me. He has covered you. He has covered us in his grace. So yesterday, everything went wrong. Everything that could have gone wrong yesterday and last week went wrong. You even wondered if you'd even show up at church on Sunday morning. You even wondered if God even cared what happened last week. Can I say to you, because today you're still here, yesterday was not final, and the grace of God is available to you. And that's the story. That's the narrative of Scripture when we identify and recognize and place ourselves in Adam's shoes. Not that I was the hero, not that I should have been given praise, but I was sinful just like Adam. And because of the grace of Jesus, because God demonstrated his great love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. That's the possibility for you to receive grace today. I want you to bow your head and we're going to pray and sing one last song and we're going to be done and we're going to eat tacos for the glory of God. Amen. I don't know how you wandered into an auditorium like this today. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you're a neighbor of someone. Maybe you saw what was happening online. I don't believe what happens in this auditorium is happenstance or circumstance every single Sunday. I believe that God fully knows that the gospel would be made known, the grace of Jesus would be preached, and that there would be people in an auditorium like this who need the grace of God today.
Maybe you walk into an auditorium like this and you've never been saved. What does that mean, Pastor Matt? That means your life has never been rescued from the darkness and the sin that you've lived in. That's what scripture says. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's responsible for you. You're not a happenstance, accident, circumstance. John 3-16 says, for God so loved the world. Not only is God responsible for you, but John 3-16 says, God loves you. But Romans 3-23 says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. God created you. He loves you, but there's a problem between you and God as you currently stand. Scripture says that problem is called sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The result of a problem in your life between you and God. If it's never resolved, the result is death, both spiritually and physically. You will die one day because of sin, but right now you're spiritually separated from God if there's never a solution to your sin. But Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news for you today. That's good news for you today. There was nothing you did. Every religion in the world says do something to get closer to God. Jesus says, I've already done it and I did it on the cross and I want you to come closer to me because of the blood of my son on the cross. You can't work to me. You can't do good things to get to me. It's only by Jesus that your sin can be forgiven. I'm giving you something that you did not deserve. Then Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, if you will believe in your heart, you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. The scripture says you will be saved. John chapter 1 says that all who received Jesus, all who called on his name, the scripture says he changes your name. He changes your position. He changes your status and your relationship with him. He says when you call on the name of Jesus for salvation, he says I give you the right to become a child of God. This morning, I want to invite some of you guys into that relationship. If you've never given your life to Jesus, there's nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't bring you on stage, make you say anything you don't want to say. We simply allow you to acknowledge who you are before God, your sin, your darkness, your past. And you're honest before God with authenticity to say, God, I've I've broken trust with you just like Adam. And God, I I desire peace with you and I desire relationship with you and fellowship with you. Jesus, will you come into my life and save me from my sin? And Jesus, I repent. That's what scripture says. I turn from my sin and I'll walk with you the rest of the days of my life. Maybe some of you guys need to do that today. There's no special way how we do that. We don't make you raise a hand or come down front. I'd simply like to ask you to do this. If that's your desire to be saved today, would you just do us one simple favor? Take one gentle step. When you walk out of the auditorium today, there's a table called the Connect Table. There's a, there a form out there that says Next Steps. Would you just put your name, your email, and your phone number and check the box that said, I'm interested in trusting Jesus for salvation. That's all we're asking you to do. What's going to happen? We're going to follow up, send you an email say praise God, give you a Bible, give you some materials to begin to walk with God and start this new relationship, invite you into community and help you begin a new life in Jesus. If that's your desire today, would you just stop by the connect table, fill that card out, check that box, I desire to trust Jesus for salvation today. Last thing and then we're done and we're going to sing. Maybe you walk into this auditorium and life has been jacked up, messed up. You wonder if there's hope for tomorrow. 
because you're here today, yesterday wasn't final. The grace of God is evident and abundant. It's not only abundant, but it's super abundant. And God is offering grace to you today to cover you from head to toe. He's lavished His grace on you. Listen to me. That's who you are in Jesus if you have a relationship with Him. Maybe some of you guys today need to sing and, 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 and be amazed by the grace and the glory of God and how He would treat you today not in the way that you've seen a spouse or a husband or, or, or somebody in your life, a dad or a mother or a father who's treated you and things went wrong, but the grace of God who looks at you and says, this is not final. I love you. Jesus, you're so good. You're a good, good father. And I pray that as we sing, Lord, this would be a reflection of, of how you've spoken to us this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.